Welcome to the Photography Opinion Podcast. We discuss all things photo, video, and camera related. I'm Ben Lucas. And I'm Stuart Marlantis. And this is PhotoLog. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on everything on how to work faster. Um, next time, wait, wait a second, just, just kidding. You need to hear the rest of the episode first. The one thing that you can't listen to faster apparently is podcasts. Yeah. I think we went a little bit too fast on this one. Maybe we should jump back a bit. All right. Let's, let's start at the beginning then. Hello, podcast listeners. Uh, today we are talking about plugins, filters, and presets. Yes. Things that help you get stuff done faster. Yes, we are. Um, we've got a nice little collection uh, for you of uh, presets, filters, plugins that we've tried and looked into for you. We've got uh, lots of uh, photo presets and plugins and filters, but we've also got a couple video offerings as well. So hopefully we have like a, a nice little set for you, no matter what visual medium you're working in. So uh, let's actually start by talking about presets. Mm-hmm. So presets um we have no recommendations for any presets for purchasing yep um presets for the most part are things that are so incredibly specialized that they are things that you should just make yourself i know that there are photographers that say here are my lightroom presets and there are probably Mm -hmm. video editors that say here are my you know workspace presets or whatever kind of presets they're out there you can buy them Mm -hmm. however our recommendations for presets are that you experiment and you figure out what you like doing and that you make your own. Um, something else is just because a soft piece of software comes with presets does not mean that those presets are any good at all. No. So um, I actually have a story. Uh, I w- went to a conference. Uh, Scott Kelby was talking and he talked about how he was talking with the people at Adobe and how when Photoshop came out with the HDR filter, how they came up with their presets. So they came out with the HDR filter and it was powerful and it's amazing and it can do a bunch of great stuff. But when they were getting the crunch deadline to actually put it out into the release, they're like, hey, we need to have some presets for people. So a software developer who was kind of a like, sure, I'm a photo hobbyist. I can do some presets. They just kind of threw a bunch of stuff together that they're like, yeah, that looks good. But if you have listened to one of our previous episodes on what was it? Imposter syndrome. We talked about the HDR hump about how you you discover HDR and all of a sudden your stuff looks terrible. Well, it's just some random person put together all of these presets uh, for the HDR filter in Photoshop and then release it into the world. So then it is a very good filter. It can do great things. All of the presets, I mean, it could have been changed now, but when it came out, complete garbage. So... Um, that is kind of what we are starting with. Complete garbage. Great uplifting way to start the <laughs> podcast here. Uh, no, but when it comes to presets, this is something definitely make your own. Mm-hmm. Um, while I'm still rambling, I've got a, a tip on creating your own presets. So when you're doing presets, break things out into smaller pieces and smaller chunks. 
because if you take an image from zero to a hundred and you're like, that looks amazing. I'm going to turn this look into a preset. The next time you try applying that, it is going to look wrong or look bad. And you're going to realize, Hmm, maybe I only need 65% of it. And maybe I did like a slight color shift. It doesn't need. And this one's vignetted way too heavily. And there are pieces of that that aren't going to look good. So what you should do is you should have let if, if, um, your preset is like color toning and skin correction and maybe contrast and vignetting break out each one of those things into their own preset. So you can apply them selectively so that in the future you don't have like, here are my 10 favorite presets. You might have 10 looks that you like, but that, that one preset look or a lot, if you do video might have 15 or 20 different things that apply to it that actually make up and create that look that you can then apply selectively to your next thing. So this is super useful if you're doing actions in Photoshop or if you're doing presets in Lightroom or I'm sure video has this too, but just break up all of your presets into small little chunks um, to your own taste and maybe have a preset for vignetting 5%, 10%, 25%, 50%. So that way you have presets for all the different levels and then you can kind of roll back and hit the one that is appropriate for that photo. Um, It'll make your life easier, make make your editing faster and you will thank us with all the time saved. Um, I will jump in here really quick and say, uh, yes, I agree. Um, buying presets or using the presets of software um, generally isn't a good idea. This can be a little bit different in video land. Um, there, there potentially is some value to buying LUTs, which are sort of presets, or um, buying certain profiles um, for for different uh, cameras and stuff like that. Uh, there are some potential good options there. Um, this really, I don't really have anything to recommend because this highly depends on your camera and um, your particular project and needs. But I will say that there have been a couple things um, that I've purchased that are essentially presets at the end of the day, uh, noise profiles and stuff for specific cameras, um, just because otherwise I have to generate that profile myself, which is really annoying to do precisely. So for somebody to have pre-generated like a, no- a noise profile for a noise removal later um, that you can buy for a reasonable price, that can be worth it. So there are a few little things uh, in video later. There's exceptions it, to the rule, yeah, for sure. That's it. <laughs> I, yeah. No, and and even even in photography, like mm-hmm. there 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 might be you know things that are worth it, but um, a lot of times it is uh, people will sell a preset, and if you don't know how you got there, you're not getting any better. No, and this is something that you could have done on your own. Mm-hmm. Versus uh, the things that you talked about in video, sometimes you cannot get there on your own without. Mm-hmm tons of work shooting that grain on like gray to be able to profile it and Mm -hmm. then down noise correct it and apply that like though no there are differences about the type of stuff you just talked about of purchasing um LUTs and Mm -hmm. corrections um versus like oh here's here's like make your digital camera look like film Mm -hmm. Well, there are some presets that are like, okay, we actually scanned a bunch of old film and then generated like uh, an algorithm based on that. And so it's like, those are good versus someone who just like drags some sliders in Lightroom. Those are not uh, and i and i great. i 100 percent agree that um even in video uh you should you should know how 
editing affects your footage, um, how how to color correct, how to do all those sorts of things before you make a lot make a lot of you know purchase decisions around filters and presets or um, use a lot of LUTs and stuff like that. Like there are so many people who buy some you know classic uh blue shadow orange highlight you know cinema lut and then just apply it to everything they shoot and it looks really bad and don't do that don't be that person um no i do, I do love no me some you. uh split toning cyan and yeah. orange though and i'm not saying that's always bad but i'm saying don't be the person that just applies most of the time everything. most of the time it's pretty bad <laughs> most of the time it's pretty bad cool but i just All had right, to so, jump in there and say yes absolutely. i have paid for a preset before I'm not going to say that I never have. It's occasionally useful, but I know what you're doing first. They are occasionally (laughs) useful. So, um, yeah, filters and presets, there are maybe one day in the future I'll make a video on how to make your own presets for Lightroom or something. But uh, for the podcast today, that is kind of where we're going to leave that. The rest of this is going to be stuff that you can buy. Some of them might be free, but most of this is uh, paid stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but things that we think are neat or useful that we have used ourselves or wish we could use ourselves yes uh with that in mind let's get going Stuart. take it away what what is uh what are we talking about first uh we're talking about uh plugins and i'm going to specifically cover uh ai uh plugins first because that's a really hot topic right now um one of uh, I've I've tested uh, a number of them um, just to kind of see what's out there, um, and some of them I've actually used before, like in my own work. And uh, one of the ones that I can recommend right away, or or at least recommend a, a company, a provider of plugins, is Topaz Labs. Now, Topaz does a whole bunch of different things. Um, they do uh, a shar- a, a, like an AI Sharpen um, Gigapixel, which is like an upscaling program. They do a denoise program, um, a masking, uh, uh, AI masking to help refine masks. Um, they do a general kind of adjustment thing where... Um, you're basically, you're surrendering um, <laughs> editing decisions to an AI and you're just like, go nuts. What do you think it should be? Um, and then there's one that I think is very niche, but probably the coolest thing they offer, um, which is video enhance, where you can upscale really low resolution video. And I've experimented with, um, you know, everything from taking like HD footage and making it 4K uh, to like taking VHS recordings and upscaling them to HD. Uh, it can do some really fantastic things, and uh, it's. I will say it's certainly not perfect, but it is. It is really impressive what it can do, what it can pull out of just really horrible, blurry, nasty, you know, low res footage. It, it it does a surprisingly good job. Um, so that's something that. Um, I can certainly recommend that you take a look at Topaz Lab stuff. All costs money, um, so there is there is some variation in where I'd really point you, and you should certainly uh, test things and try things before you purchase the full license. Um, I, I will say that I have used the uh, Topaz Labs Gigapixel mm-hmm. um, uh, plugin because we uh, I shot at a studio, even though we were shooting on eighty megapixel Hasselblad backs. Um, it needed to be even bigger because they were putting it on a on the side of a bus. Mm-hmm. So we still needed to upscale it another however huge it needed to be. Um, so no, that that one it was basically like click 
upscale and go get a coffee. This is going to take a while, but yes. when it was done, the result <laughs> was worth it. Oh yeah. So, so that's, um, I, I should say like, those are on my like short list of recommendations. I don't think everything that Topaz Labs um, makes is necessarily worth your time. I think video enhance is really cool, although maybe not worth your money depending on what you're working with. Um, but for me experimenting with like lower resolution video, it's really cool. Gigapixel is extremely cool. Um, that but is again, very niche. Very if you niche. Didn't yeah. need to do that bus billboard. Yeah. Then we wouldn't have needed it exactly but if you need high upscaling capability for images gigapixel is really neat um sharpen is pretty good denoise is pretty good um i would probably adjo- uh, avoid adjust um just because like you should know how to edit your images anyway like we just said like adjust feels like a, a filter or preset to me like i wouldn't bother with that mask could maybe be worth it but nah. Uh, like you should be able to mask uh, as well, and increasingly, Adobe is getting so good at their masking. I that, I actually yeah. bought. Um, I I won't say it because I'm not recommending it anymore. But back in the day, I bought a third party masking piece of software, mm-hmm. and their big thing was, look, this bride's veil. Like, how do you mask out this thin piece of translucent fabric? And we can do it perfectly. And then you can put them on a new background. So you shot them on brick, and then you put a sunset behind them, and it's like. Ooh, fancy mm-hmm. but like you don't need that anymore because photoshop is is inherently being able to do that process where before you needed a third-party plugin and so mm-hmm. i own so many plugins that are just rendered irrelevant yeah. by the progress of first-party features yep Ag- agreed if you already have uh you know a, a relatively modern version of uh, you know any any Adobe uh, imaging product, you probably don't need stuff like Mask from Topaz. But the rest of it is worth a look, depending on what you're what you're working on and what your particular needs are. Um, all right, what what else you got on the list there? I, I saw yeah, another, there is another a, one you're looking there at. There is another AI um, option uh, called Luminar. Now I don't have as much experience with Luminar, but I did look at it. Um, and it's got, there, there are kind of two things with Luminar. There's Luminar 4, or what's currently Luminar 4, which is their kind of suite of AI things, and then there's Aurora HDR. Um, now, Aurora HDR is essentially just a, trying to be a fancier HDR program. Um, yes, it's it's not, although it will do, like, JPEG to try to, you know, make it an HDR. Um, it does raw processing and, and stacking and stuff, too. Um I personally don't think it's worth it. Like you can do HDRs uh, good enough in uh, in Lightroom and uh, Photoshop. I probably wouldn't bother with that. Uh, bother paying for that capability. I don't think what it offers is really worth it. Luminar might be worth it. Uh, I again, a lot of this stuff I feel like you should just do yourself. Like they do sky replacements. They do like uh, portrait stuff where they. Um, where it looks for like your eyes and you can do uh, red eye removal really easily eye whitening um you know you can if you don't uh, use on camera flash you don't get red eye there's yeah, that too <laughs> or you can just yeah or you can just not get red eye in the first place um you know saturation of just like the lips like that's one of the things that it does as an ai is it looks for particular things that you can edit without having to actually go in with a brush yourself um there's lots of like inserting objects adding sun rays or replacing skies um looking for uh incre- increasing detail and sharpness um it does uh, they have a contrast thing, um, you know, erasing them when it objects. I saw an ad in my Facebook yeah. feed for Luminar where they took kind of a 
eh, it was fine, but just like a garbage photo of a car, just like basically in a parking lot. And they were like, and we replaced the ground mm-hmm. and the sky and added a bird and spun the wheels and dust and sunset and headlights. And I'm like, it's cool that you can do all this, but but why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it is it is interesting, but again, a lot of the stuff you can just do yourself if you already have Photoshop or Lightroom, and some things like you wouldn't even want to do, or or it becomes so close to just like a composite. Like photo composites, really cool. If that's what you're doing, then great. But you might as well just do that Which, in Photoshop. I, yeah, I, I do right? a lot of photo yeah. composites, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, buying a piece of software that like does it there, for you. There's, there's definitely some things of like I can do that better than you. Mm-hmm. I, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> why well, do you do it that way? So, I mean, between the two of these, I would say that, um, you know, unless you're just like swimming in cash and you want to buy all and try all the things, then great. I would look at... I have heard some good things about Aurora HDR, but I also agree that there, there are things you can do I just natively. don't think it's worth paying for, like, for especially for somebody, you know, with, with less experience. Like, I don't think... I think you should just learn how to do it manually, and really, HDR is... True not that hard to do anymore i'm not sure that i would bother with it so Um, so when you talk about manually i want to explain that really quickly Mm -hmm. so uh literally hdr is not it is not a uh a style it Mm -hmm. is not a process like it is a technique if you think it's a style uh stop thinking (laughs) (laughs) stop stop you're you're going down a dangerous road if you think that's a style it's not (laughs) so so hdr just literally means high dynamic range and that means basically taking a bracket of shots and pulling the detail in so if you stack those together and you just put layer masks on them in photoshop and you start painting in the areas you can man this is what we mean by manually Mm -hmm. doing hdr so there are hdr plugins that i like and there is a free one that i'm about to mention but uh the plugin don't do the the plugin filter and then call it done. Mm-hmm. That gets you to like the 90% point and then you're still going to have to finish it. There might be artifacts you have to finish or there might be something that it made a little too crunchy and you got to put a little bit of the paint, a little bit of the original back into it to kind of bring it to that surreal but not like fake gross HDR. Like mm-hmm. you want it to look beautiful and awe-inspiring but not crunched by a computer. Yep. Um, so, uh, even though Aurora HDR, I'm sure is beautiful, it is pricey and something that is free that I use all the time is Nick. So Mm -hmm. Nick used to be a paid piece of software and then it was purchased by Google and it is free forever. I think Google said they were going to like discontinue it or something, except what actually happened is I think it's like, they're not updating it anymore. Um, So yeah, I think DXO bought it actually. Oh, DxO bought it from Google. Mm-hmm. The Nick Collection. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. DxO bought it from them. Is it still free? It is not free anymore. <laughs> well, well, then. Yes. <laughs> Let's rewind about thirty seconds. I, whatever. We'll just leave this all in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Nick. Nick was recently uh, purchased by DxO. It is not free anymore. I think the old. I think you're still correct partially in that the old, like the Google collections of Nick 
are still available for free but um now but they are starting to because they sold it yeah okay. but now they're starting uh, dxo is starting to um build on top of that um and so now they have a version out that is paid um okay. i didn't know this ahead of time um i literally just googled it while you were talking about it <laughs> and sure enough it is owned by dxo now and it is a paid thing or at least well, the newer version you is a paid thing. something new every day yeah, we both regardless of who owns it or how much it costs yeah uh, you can probably find a copy of it somewhere. I'm, I'm just going to float that one out there. Anyway, <laughs> it is a great suite. Uh, the two things in particular, or three things in particular that I really like about it. One is the HDR uh, function in the Nick suite. Um, I use that HDR one all the time uh, just because it saves me a lot of time for photos that are not that important. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a photo that is really important, I'm doing what we talked about earlier, and I am doing my own manual HDR by throwing them all in a stack and kind of starting there. The other thing that I'll do is I will run the HDR filter, use that as my base plate, and then stack little bits of all the others' um, originals if you will, to kind of bring it back to where I want it. So um, I use that as like a starting place and then keep painting on top of it. Um, The second one that I absolutely love is their silver effects plugin. If you do black and white photography and you're not a master at it, um, I'm sure people would be like, boo, it's so bad. Just do your own color toning. I'm like, okay. But the stuff that (laughs) those presets are pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. And I, I like them. So especially when I'm doing boudoir and I just want a really classy black and white image that doesn't look like mud, those presets are the way to go. Because if you just put like, if you click like black and white or something in Photoshop without doing all of the proper black and white color toning, which is very, very different than color photo color toning, then it's just going to look like mud and it's not going to look good. So uh, I've seen wedding photographers do this where they will give you like two folders of images. One is all of your photos in color and all of your colors in black and white. I'm like, no, the black and white folder is just complete garbage. If you're not individually toning that image to look its absolute best, just just leave it in color. Does the color add anything? No. Well, then maybe it should be black and white. And if it should be, if it's in black and white, then it needs the proper contrast and toning for it to come out as a proper black and white image. But no, Nick's up. All right, rant done. Yep. We're, we're good on that. Nick's offer, uh, by the way, it's it even for a a new a full license if you're not upgrading is 150 bucks and that's a lifetime license this is not a subscription which i really appreciate that is cheaper than some of the other that is quite cheap um most of the other ai stuff i talked about was literally each each one was like a hundred to like 200 bucks like each sharpen each gigapixel each thing so this is this is a what a whole bunch of effects the next plugin i'm going to talk about is 300 dollars. i think so so this is a whole bunch of different stuff and for the life for lifetime upgrades 150 that is pretty reasonable like so you could get the free google one if it's still accessible if it's not accessible it is still quite cheap for the whole suite yep um so the third nick thing that i want to talk about is uh i forget the name of it um we'll google this real quick i guess uh it is the film one analog effects analog effects thank you uh so that this is the one that we were talking about where they actual scan they scanned actual film Mm -hmm. and they came up with the algorithm for what that film does to your photo so that you get proper 
analog film look from a digital photo and some of them are a little bit crazy and like drags too much but you can always kind of just drag down the opacity of that and just add a hint of that um that's something else that i love doing for my color boudoir shots just to kind of like mute some of the tones um I want to say it's the Fuji 400 that I really like, um, but it just it just adds a little bit of that kind of like old school sexiness to it uh, to your photos. That um, yeah, so so if you don't already have a ton of that, don't just do someone's random like oh this will make it look like film because what that generally does is just adds like a curves layer that like does like cross processing or some garbage to your photo this actually adds grain from scans of actual film of that stock um my dog agrees he also likes this so sure you could do that manually yourself if you spent like the rest of your life and so that's one of those things that we talked about at the beginning of like this or you could buy those things worth getting um they've also got a denoiser and a sharpener too so if those uh i've never used those if you check those out and and those do good enough for you then don't spend like two hundred dollars individually on other ai ones just buy the whole thing and then you get all this stuff yeah there you go um before we leave uh, photo land and start talking about videos, um, do, you, do you have any more? I know I have one more. Um, no, those were my main ones, Luminar and uh, Topaz. Yeah, Sweet. I have one more. It is su- – I mean, they also do video. But um, the company is Imagenomics, and uh, it is the Imagenomics plugin. So the, specifically, it is the skin retouching plugin. So it is expensive. It is it is real expensive. <laughs> it's like three hundred dollars <laughs> for something that you could absolutely do yourself. And for many years, I did. Here's the deal: if you are doing this as a professional, how much time are you spending retouching photo after photo after photo after photo the manual way versus uh, just running a filter on it? Now, here's the thing. If I'm doing something for, like, a magazine or a high-end commercial portrait, I am dodging and burning the pores, and I'm doing it right. Yep. But if I'm doing a senior picture, and they want their 80 images, and, you know, they want them all retouched, you better freaking believe I am running a filter on those 80 images. And then, you know, you know, there's, there's still something to be said for manual retouching of, like, if they have a zit, the zit is just going to look a little creamy and less red. Mm-hmm. But it's still going to be there. That is something that manual retouching AI is never going to get rid of that. You still need to go get rid of that zit. However, if their skin is just, uh, if, if like they applied too much makeup to cover, you know, rosacea or something, and it's a little cakey because they didn't get a makeup artist, the filter will smooth that out. If, uh, you know, they just have a lot of wrinkles and pores and you want to take five years off them, you can just apply it just the littlest bit, like 10% opacity. And it will just kind of smooth that out to the point where they still look real. They still have pores. They don't look like a, a Barbie doll, but, uh, the client loves the images and they're happy with it. So, um, for a lot of wedding images, like close up portraits, uh, senior images, family portraits, I will just run that at the end as kind of a last process. And then sometimes I'll do a little bit of manual masking with it as well. So it's just hitting the skin. So it's not smoothing out all of the like hair detail texture. Cause I still want it to look like a good photo. Not that I just like applied a smoothing filter over it. So, I have one Very question. expensive. Yeah. Do they have a slider that allows you to reduce or add age by number of years? <laughs> no, but I hear Photoshop does that now. <laughs> I, I haven't. Um, here's, here's the thing. 
random tangent tip about upgrading. If you are in the middle of a project that you need to finish, like a client project or just something that you're working on, do not upgrade your software until you are done with that project. Because inevitably, something will break and you won't be able to finish the project on time. So uh, I haven't gotten around to actually updating it and playing with all the like face of like, hey, what age do you want them? What gender do you want them? How much beard hair should they have? I think that's, it's just this weird face filter that Photoshop introduced. I haven't gotten to that one yet, but uh, <laughs> no, so. But if you do Dramics... upgrade Photoshop mid-project, it will remove years from your life slider, so don't do that. <laughs> oh, ain't that the truth? <laughs> uh, no, before we leave Imagenomics, it is expensive. It is something that I avoided for a very long time. But if you are a professional who gets paid for this, uh, a one-time fee to get your time back is immeasurable. Just freaking do it. And it's the thing that all the other pros use. Um, They would say, like, I can show you the manual way, but this is what I use. So why wouldn't I just tell you to also use the same thing? So that's that's where I am with that. Cool. that probably took a little bit longer than it should have, but it's a discussion <laughs> worth having. Why would you pay so much for something you can do yourself? Well, how much time does the manual away take you, and what are the results? Yep. So now, really quick, uh, we have a few uh, video plugin options, um, all of which I have experimented with before to varying degrees. Uh, the first one that I'm going to recommend is probably like my number one of these that I would recommend for pretty much everybody, and that's Neat Video. Um, now, Neat Video is a it's just for noise removal in video. Um, there uh, there are varying prices depending on the resolution, the output resolution, and um, if you're getting you know multiple plugins for um, Premiere and After Effects and stuff like that. Um, that being said, it is not terribly expensive. I think you can get like unlimited output resolution for Premiere and After Effects together for like 200 bucks, um, which for what it does is not too bad. It, it It is really, really surprising at how good a job it does at removing noise from video while still preserving details. Yes, you can push it too far. Uh, yes, it does require a heck of a lot of processing time like um, like the AI uh, software that we talked about before. Um, you'll have to let it sit there and process for a, a quite a while, but it does a fantastic job. Um, just don't run... Um, don't run noise reduction through neat video and uh, uh, warp stabilization at the same time because your computer will melt down and uh, you won't have a computer anymore. Uh, so yeah, neat video. Uh, definitely worth a look. If you um, you know are shooting in low light a lot or even if you just you know have a project coming up that you know um, you might want to push your camera a little bit uh, farther than you normally mm-hmm. would, definitely test neat video and see if it works for you. Because for me, I've used it many times and it's just awesome. Um, so yeah, check that out. Awesome. Uh, let's see. Let's keep going. Uh, another another one that I have used a number of times and is more niche but still interesting is Real Steady. Um, now Real Steady was kind of the, uh, from my understanding, it was the the brainchild of a drone pilot who wanted to, uh, before we got better and better um, electronic image image stabilization in action cameras, he wanted to make really nice, steady, swooping um, videos from his little teeny uh, rattly drones. And 
however this came about, they eventually uh, made this real steady uh, software. And for a while, it was like the only way that you could get just super incredible post-production um, stabilized video. Again, lots of processing time. But um, now GoPro has purchased them and um, they're integrating more and more tightly with GoPro. You can still apply normal cameras to it, but like GoPros now have really deep integration where you can get even better um better performance um, and better stabilization out of it. It is really interesting. Um, definitely try it if you need something like that, if you're using action cameras a lot. Uh, it can make things look unnatural, um, but I will say that pretty much it always looks cinematic. I was going to so say, how does it compare to, like, warp stabilizer? It's way better than warp stabilizer. Like, you don't... Um, you don't get those like with warp stabilizer you you get kind of like different planes within the image that have different amounts of stabilization and like the foreground looks okay but the background is like is like way jelloey um you don't get that with a real steady or at least i should say like you don't get that without really really pushing it a lot more than you would warp stabilizer um and there's some clips you just can't save yeah we'll put it that way (laughs) there's there's yeah there's always stuff that software can't save one of the things that it does really well with um with action cameras you know like later gopros especially um is uh, the gopro your gopro will record um from its uh gyroscope and accelerometers if it's a late enough model it'll record that information and then it'll send that to real steady and real steady will actually have physical data that it can use to try to cancel out and stabilize the video as much as possible so interesting yeah that's one thing that it can do that like warp stabilizer can't realistically and it does nice. a surprisingly good job. So it is pretty expensive. Um, people have been asking for some sort of discount or some other, uh, you know, some other price <laughs> range for a while um, because for a long time it was literally just four hundred bucks straight up. That's it. Um, now there is a GoPro specific one that's ninety nine dollars, and that might be worth it for you if you shoot with GoPros enough. Um, the there's still the uh, four hundred dollar option and uh, or three ninety nine that's for uh, after effects and that just you can apply that to any camera with varying degrees of success but still generally pretty good but yeah 400 bucks is hard to swallow there are free trials for both so definitely test it before you spend 400 everything on, on this it, but, list test yeah. it before you spend money yeah. but yeah the 99 dollar one if you shoot with action cam or with gopros a lot uh that might be worth your time it's it's pretty interesting what it can do Nice. And to close out this list, I think you have more experience with it than I do, but I yeah. have used it before. Twixter. So yes. <laughs> Twixter, way back in the day, uh, before cameras were actually getting good at having uh, high frame rates. Mm-hmm. Um, if Basically, I remember when it was phenomenal mm-hmm. when you could shoot on a Canon camera at 60p. Actually, Canon has not advanced that much. It's still <laughs> phenomenal to be able to shoot on a Canon <laughs> to shoot 60 uh, frames per second. Uh, come on, Canon. Get it, get it together. Get it together. Anyway, um, no, so Twixter, basically, uh, as far as I understand it, correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, it interpolates the frames way better than your, like, premiere copy would. Correct. So that you can get super slow motion footage, and it twixts your frames, you know, mm-hmm. like if mm-hmm. you did animation back in middle school, yeah. you'd add a twixt, because 
Twixer. Anyway, so uh, it, it basically it turns your normal footage into slow mo footage, and mm-hmm. if you have slow mo footage, it turns it into like scientific slow mo footage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another one that um, you can only push it so far, and really the more frames you can give it, the better. Um, but uh, it is this is this is a thing that like. You saw, actually, speaking of GoPros, this is a piece of software that you saw GoPro, the company, abuse a huge amount, especially in the earlier days, like in the Hero I, 1 through 4. Like, they would throw Twixter on everything for these, you know, amazing shot. Like, you know, somebody going off a ski jump, and it's just, like, super, super slow. And you're like, how would a, you know, a Hero 3 at the time wasn't capable of high frame rates, you know, how, how did they possibly pull that off? It's like, Twixter is the answer. They use this a lot. Um, and it does, it does quite a good job. Um, you can't really, you know, scale up from like 24 FPS or anything like that, but if you're going in with, you know, at least 60, uh, it can pull some pretty incredible, uh, incredible footage out of it. Um, there, there can be some weird uh there are definitely some weird jello yeah, artifacts if there's you some feed, artifacts if you feed it 24 and you try and get 200 that's yeah. it's gonna look weird yeah but the difference between like scaling 60 fps to you know 240 on just natively in premiere versus using twixter is like a night and day difference like you you could be fooled by twixter's output and you're not fooled at all by by premiere's native output so definitely worth checking out um it again is a niche kind of thing, but uh, but yeah, and it's also three hundred thirty bucks. So uh, again, trial use use a trial, test it, figure out if it's going to work for you, if it's going to be worth the money. Um, but yeah, Twixter is quite impressive, and there's I, I don't know what their secret sauce is. Like I don't know why Adobe doesn't purchase them because that would be incredible to have a built in. But uh, yeah, check out Twixter. Slow-mo. Awesome. So uh, those are all of our uh, tips on presets and filters and plugins mm-hmm. to make your life easier. Uh, there are a couple that actually do things that you could not do on your own, um, like Twixer and some of the AI stuff. And then there are some things that just make your life easier by doing the thing that you wanted so much faster than you could manually. So um, that wraps up this episode of the podcast. Um, what are we talking about next? Well, um, this is a uh, more of an introspective episode. I think our next episode, "A Letter to a Younger Me," is what we've been <laughs> been titling it internally in our production process. Um, we're going to address ourselves uh, fresh out of high school um, and uh, give ourselves some some tips from the future. So that is going to be our next episode. It one should be tip a fun one. is buy toilet paper and stock in Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you have questions or ideas for future episodes, you can email us at hello at photo-op.show. Watch us on Ben's YouTube channel at non-creative. As in om nom nom. Share this with a friend and you can listen to Photo Op anywhere podcasts are sold. Or download it. Because it's free.